is Monday, and you know what time it is. FRPC is on the air, and we're talking football. And our guys here, the Canadian Bomber, the Canadian Shaman, the Canadian Bill Simmons, and for this podcast, the Canadian Mike Tomlin, Nico Miatello. How was your weekend? Did you watch any March Madness? Did your soon-to-be wife, Shannon, finish the Hogwarts game? I need a lot of details because I feel like I haven't caught up to you in about three or four days. Lots going on here at the house. What's up? Oh, I've been doing pretty well lately, doing pretty well. I I have had March Madness on the TV nonstop over the last few days. This is my absolute favorite time of the sports calendar. And yes, yes, Shannon has finished up Hogwarts Legacy. She's running around doing a few final touches on the game, but she's finished the main story now. And I, I have to say that... Uh, I absolutely loved the game as as did she. It's uh, a wonderful adaptation of the world, and it really makes you feel like you're a part of it. These are some of the conversations that we have offline, but I thought yes. that we needed to bring it in the podcast for two reasons. One, I haven't talked to my guy in yeah, a while. As some of you know, I had a podcast that put out yesterday. Uh, Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it is usually on Friday, but we put it out yesterday, and it kind of capsulized what has been going on with me for like the last three or four days and uh, decisions that are being made. But we are here Monday, and speaking of the madness, we have some madness in the NFL that we need to get to. First thing that we need to talk about right now, and it's the elephant in the room, literally and figuratively, what do about Jalen Carter and the defensive lineman from Georgia in his off the field situation, his pro day, his uh, enormous talent that Mm -hmm. cannot be denied. What's our thoughts? On him right now, what would you do with your big board right now with one Jalen Carter, which I'm a little sad that his last name is Carter? Oh, well, I think when you look at the Jalen Carter situation, there, there, I feel like there's some level of less implied malice behind the what happened and the off the the field issues so i think there are teams that are going to look at it like a maturity issue rather than a bad guy issue that i'm not trying to judge it for myself i i don't know the man he could he could be the greatest dude in the world who made a mistake or he could be downright despicable but I think that kind of parachutes his draft status a little more than other people we've seen in similar situations. Um, I I think he's going to fall. Um, beforehand, I was fairly convinced he'd be the first non-quarterback off the board in the draft. 
but now I'm starting to look a little later in that top 10 for him. I'm wondering if perhaps when trading back, the Bears targeted that ninth pick as a spot that they thought they might still be able to get Jalen Carter and also acquire the windfall of draft assets they had incoming from Carolina. So currently, I I say I'm viewing the ninth pick as a bit of a floor for him. Um, if he fell to 10 in Philadelphia, that would be absolutely insane too. But I, that's around the range I'm thinking we're going to be looking at Jalen Carter on draft day. So Jalen Carter has wowed us with his talent on the field so impressive physically and there's nothing that you can do with him on the defensive line here's my problem bro you are entering your job interview and uh you're coming to the job interview in a disheveled suit if that basically um and also it doesn't look like you kind of really want the job like stop eating cheeseburgers bro Nine well, pounds over your weight. The other deal is that he didn't even finish the the proceedings on the pro day. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a good look. Unless he has a promise in the draft. I don't know that to be true. I have not checked on it. I don't know if he just kind of, uh, I, I have a locked-in spot. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Chicago is that team. I don't know if the Raiders are that team. Mm-hmm. These are the type of guys that I start putting little check marks next and I go, this could go really well and somebody's going to have a steal or we are going to be talking about this guy two or three years from now and going, what a disappointment he has been. My question to you is it's going to be culture if he flourishes, correct? It's going to be a facility that has a no-nonsense tolerance for his type of behavior that he has shown over his years in Georgia. Because if we are thinking that this is the only incident, let me kind of run down some of the things I have heard. One, late to meetings. Two, late to practice. Three, not showing a bunch of intensity in practice. Four, multiple little skirmishes that have happened away from the team. I'm not saying he's a bad guy. I say he's young. But I'm wondering, with all of that being said, Nico, what organization, personally, would you want Jalen Clark to go to to really kind of put his career back on track. And I swear to God, if you say the Pittsburgh Steelers, we are going to have a problem. No, no, no. Well, the uh, if you want to talk in terms of maturity, that would actually be playing with Cam Hayward would be great for him. However, I, I hear you got a little bit of madness on the mind there because you did say Jalen Clark instead of Oh, my God, I did. Jalen Carter, you did. Oh, my God, yes, Um, sorry. Hey, shout out to my guy who tore his Achilles. I am a UCLA fan, so therefore, a clap all day. So, yeah, yeah. Jalen Carter, I'm sorry. I'm Yeah, no, it's all good. Um, Jay, 
Jalen Carter, I I haven't heard obviously as much of this stuff as you have on uh, missing meetings and stuff. I I've heard some people talk positively about him on that side here and there, but that being said, everyone wants to talk positively about their prospects at this time of year. I personally had dismissed the nine pounds overweight at the pro day a little more and being unable to finish the drills because of the legal situation that had came up at the same time. And the fact that he he'd actually been summoned to court and he'd been going through a lot of this that involved the death of his friend, even though the way Carter handled the situation was awful running away the everything happened still can we give that a little background so everybody knows what we're talking about okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the the situation that jalen carter got an arrest warrant issued for earlier this month was he was involved in a drag racing situation with another player on the team and also uh a member of the team staff Something happened. The other member of this team staff ended up crashing and ultimately passing away. And Jalen Carter left the scene of the crime. He didn't. We no one knew until long after this is just now becoming public information. And all of this broke in the days leading up to his pro day. So I kind of had written that stuff off as someone dealing with serious mental trauma at the time more so than the character issues of not wanting to to try hard because like as much as you talk about him off the field and not necessarily you but I just as much as you can talk about Jalen Carter off the field and problems he might have in the locker room. When you watch him play, he looks like one of the hardest workers on the field. He's, even if he's, like, the run is to the opposite side, he's still working his ass off to make it through the block and just get himself into the head of that offensive lineman. So I feel like if you get, him in the right situation with the right guy maybe the eagles alongside a guy like fletcher cox at 10 would be that perfect situation for him and he'd also be next to a guy in jordan davis who people say great things about off the field as well and also went to georgia so there's familiarity there as well i think if you're looking at it just as far as the best situation for him as a young man is concerned it I would say it's probably Philadelphia. I have a couple things to say. One, if you think you can get over on talent alone, you are wrong. He will have to work harder. Uh, This is a fact. And uh, I need you to take this a little bit more seriously, Mr. Carter, basically. I need you to take your your now vocation because you're out of school now. You are a professional athlete. Take your job seriously. Now, the one team I do not want him to go to, and there have been rumors and and what have you, and I want to talk this out a little bit. The Las Vegas Raiders are sitting at seven. 
Okay. Now, would he fit that defense? 100%. Would he be the atypical Raider? Shout out to my guy, Jeff Levine, who is a Raider fan. He would be a phenomenal Raider because of all the stuff. Letting a young man with millions of dollars he has never seen before in Vegas does not seem like that would be a good idea. We will reference Henry Ruggs as a uh, template for that situation. Also, another guy who relied on his talent, another guy who didn't like to practice, another guy who had maybe some issues with his temper at the University of Alabama. I don't want him anywhere near Las Vegas at all. I just don't think it's the type of place for him, not just organizationally wise, but the city. Just not the right guy for that city. I'm sorry. So, yeah, I like Philadelphia. The team that I'm really interested in, and I want to get your thoughts, because he hasn't done it in a while, and the last time he did do it, it was for a Georgia player. What's your thoughts on the hoodie getting real froggy and trying to move up to get Jalen Clark? Or Jalen, oh, my God, Jalen Carter. It's that time of year. Madness, I'm telling you. Uh, I would, uh, I would like it, just in terms of player and fit. Um, I, I'm not so sure it lines up perfectly on the as far as team needs are concerned. Um, I, I think they could use a few other guys, maybe even. Uh, another receiver despite the addition of Juju Smith this year. Don't or, reach. Don't or, reach for any of these guys. I I don't think you necessarily have to reach. I think people uh, if they if they sit where they are, there's gonna be some solid players falling into their lap. Just just for me, if I'm at 14, I'm the GM, I'm making mm-hmm. this call. There's not one wide receiver I'm drafting. Oh, I I would fourteen. I would. If you're talking like eighteen, eighteen, now I'll draft. uh, I would very easily take Zay Flowers at fourteen, and he is the exact type of guy who I think would fit perfectly into that New England system. He is an incredibly hard worker, great route runner, and. A guy who, when I turn on the film, obviously I'm not trying to say he's going to be this player and he doesn't have the strength that this guy has, but he reminds me a lot of Antonio Brown. He moves in the same way and beats people in the same way and and does have levels of strength. It's just not a B level where you can throw a defensive back on his ass with one arm. I think that's the in my opinion, the best receiver in this draft. And I think it's an almost picture perfect fit for this team in new England, especially Whoa. considering Whoa. we got good. We got good news. Hold on. Stop. Oh. Right. Hold on. Hold the presses. Stop the presses right now. Okay. Zay flowers out of Boston college is the number one wide receiver on your draft board. Oh yes. Yes, sir. He is. Okay. So let's, let's go here. 
We, yeah. Okay, we buried the lead. This is why <laughs> pre-production is very important, folks. This is why it's very important. Yes, sir. Zay Flowers is a five foot nine, maybe five foot ten, what a hundred and eighty at most. Oh, combine weights, but he came in a bigger, a little bit bigger than was expected. Now, Zay Flowers is a is a monster route runner. Uh, mm-hmm. He is very skilled, and he gets in and out of his breaks very so smoothly. Sudden. So it's, it's it's not even funny, but we've been here hearing the gentleman out of TCU, Quinn Johnson. We've been hearing uh, uh, Addison out of USC. A lot of people like Njigba from Ohio State, mm-hmm. but people are, are really um, up and down. It fluctuates with him. Mm-hmm. They love him because. The two Ohio State dudes that were there last year said he he's better than both and of them. He was better than both of them up until this year. He he was like if you look at where Garrett Wilson was as a sophomore versus where JSN was as a sophomore, it leaps and bounds. JSN was the better player. He was banged up a lot this year. And he lost his job to the best college receiver I think I've ever seen in Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, but he he's still an incredibly talented player. I I have questions with him on the top end speed. I don't think he can quite get there. And he moving as more into more of a slot guy type situation. I I'm. Just not sure a guy who can only really be your slot full-time is a guy I'd want to invest highly in. So you believe that Zay Flowers has the potential to be like a number one? I It's it's obviously hard to be your prototypical number one as a 5'9 slight receiver, but we're seeing more and more. Look at the receivers in Miami in Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. He's not quite that fast, 4-4-2 speed, and he came in a little a hair over 5-9. But I I think he can be almost that level of impact player. I think he's an incredible receiver. Now you know what this leads to, right, Nico? For you. More work. Mm-hmm. More work for you, Nico, because okay. People are gonna want to see like your top ten on your uh, position boards. I know that the people I will come up. I will come up with it. Will clamor for that. I know the people will clamor for that. Yeah, we'll we'll get that out sometime uh, early early April, I think, something like that. Maybe the end of March. Mm-hmm. I want to move on, and I want to talk about the. Aaron Rodgers to the Jets and the holdup and a possible fix to this holdup. So what's your first thoughts on Aaron Rodgers, the compensation, and why do you think this is taking this amount of time? We... When we last talked about this, we weren't sure necessarily what the holdup was. And we kicked around the idea 
of the compensation being part of the problem. But over this last week, with Aaron Rodgers coming out, I've made my saying explicitly, I've made my intentions clear, and it's to play for the New York Jets. I think that's what the holdup is. The fact that Aaron Rodgers has came and said, I want to play and I want to play for only this team has made the Jets say to the Packers, no, we're not giving you a first round pick. It's kind of similar to the situation a few years ago when Gronkowski came out of retirement and said, I'm playing, but I'm only playing for Tampa Bay. So, the Packers obviously are hesitant to move off a guy like Rodgers without receiving a first-round pick in return, and the Jets don't want to give away everything that they've built up. I think I've heard this idea kind of kicked around, and I, honestly, I think eventually the landing spot's going to be something like this. Um a second round pick this year and then a second round pick next year that maybe has an option to become a first rounder depending on how far the Jets make it in the playoffs. Hypothetically, let's say if they make it to the AFC championship game, it becomes a first round pick. Something like that I think is where we're going to land eventually. But the fact that we haven't landed there yet shows that Either the Packers are pushing strongly for more. I There's been ru- rumors that have been disputed, but rumors that they're demanding Garrett Wilson in the deal. So if, if anything like that is going on, it, we might be sitting here for another two months. But what I, I think and hope is going to happen is probably a construction more like what we were originally talking about. I have a thought. Mm-hmm. This is where Aggie come. We're going to transfer some of this energy a little bit. Because I'm going to be a little bit more like Bill Simmons. What about option B? Stafford to the Jets. I like. I think that's what the Jets maybe. I'm not 100% sure it is necessarily Stafford, but be it Stafford, be it Cousins, be it someone else along that line, I think that's why the Jets are holding strong right now with their unwillingness to move more and saying, we'll just go in another direction. However, as we both know and acknowledge, Getting Stafford and getting Aaron Rodgers are not the same thing for this organization. Rodgers would shoot them into an entirely new world, and they've built the Rodgers offense already. They've got his receiver. They've got his offensive coordinator. They're probably working on acquiring Randall Cobb right now. This is the Aaron Rodgers system, as much as the Jets are currently trying to play this position like they they could go multiple ways, they've backed themselves into a corner as well. Well, here's what I'll say about this particular situation. When you go to the um, Rolls Royce or, or exotic car dealership, you don't mess around with the price tag, Woody Johnson. You just buy 
the item and be done with it. Now, listen, I'm not saying give up five first round picks or what it would seem to be as a super haul for somebody 39 years of age. But he is a former MVP quarterback, and we're talking about within the last couple of years. Go ahead and give up the first round draft compensation. You're not going to pick anybody better than him in the draft. You know? So definitely not. Go ahead and get this deal done so then all of us can sleep better. Because I know that emergency pod is going to be hectic with the schedule that I currently have and what Nico currently has. Well, I think I think the argument to the contrary of that is if you're making the move to go all in for Rodgers, you are putting yourself in a very short window. It's uh, there can be arguments over whether it's two years, three years. Uh, I've even heard some people argue it's one year that he was looking at retiring this offseason. Maybe he'll retire next offseason. So if you're moving all of that for this very brief window, you kind of don't want to give up your other assets because you're going to need to add more to this squad around Aaron Rodgers. This was a great defense last year. The offensive line was incredibly injured throughout the season. Yeah. If Mekhi Becton has proven an inability to stay healthy at this point. Which he has. So you you kind of need to make sure everything is is fortified to the level that it can get you a super bowl cuz that's what you you're basically going all in for at this point so i understand the hesitancy on the jet side a little more for that reason there's a fix to this that everybody seems to not have come up with if you are so worried about whether Rodgers is going to be like a one-year rental because he's going to go into his dark room at the end of the year and contemplate his mortality when it comes to NFL football, then just take the pick and move it back one year. Just move it back to to 24. Get your offensive lineman or whatever else that you have decided that you need as a quintessential piece to finish this team that looks like it would, if everything goes the way it should, this team should compete for the AFC East. If everything goes right, just yeah, push, just push the pick back a year instead of 2023, make it a 2024. Well, and deal I, with it then. If that's what you're trying to do, because I don't think that Green Bay lets them go without a first round pick. I just I don't see that. happening. Yeah. And but I think that's what the conversation already is. As far as everything I've heard has not really involved this year's pick. It's been mostly around next year's. I and I think more so they're worried about that maybe for future trades rather than the the person they're going to select what i thought you were going to say and i 
now I'm kind of kicking this idea around in my head a little bit more mm. is what if the conditions on the first round pick for next year had to do with whether or not Rogers retires? Bingo. I think that might be the final thing to push us over the edge. And if anything's going to guarantee you safety, it would be that. This seems like a no-brainer that they could work these type of verbiage into the contract. And I am shocked that uh, the owner or someone who was it uh, Scott Douglas goes to Green Bay. Let's not talk to Gutenkus. Who's the president now? Who's the president up there? Oh, it's I, like it's like Thompson is somebody else. It's Murphy, right? I'll I'll get you with the name. Yeah, so. go to Green Bay. And go ahead and handle this and get this worked out. Stop wasting time and posturing. I understand that you don't want to get fleeced. Mark, that's Murphy. very important. Mark Murphy, Murphy, yeah. So Murphy, um, and just sit down, have a conversation, and get this done. Do not deal with Brian Gutenkus whatsoever, because Gutenkus is hate trading right now. That's what he's doing. He's hate trading Aaron Rodgers because one, he understands that Jordan Love is now his quarterback. Mm-hmm. One, he just doesn't like Rodgers. He doesn't like him. Mm-hmm. He's going to try to get back as much as possible. I'm going to try to hurt Aaron Rodgers as much as I possibly can mm-hmm. to help him not be able to get. To the Super Bowl because that's the one thing that Brian Gutenkus cannot have is that dude goes to New York and wins the Super Bowl because you know what that means he Aaron Rodgers was right mm-hmm. and Gutenkus cannot have that no. cannot I, so, this, so that's my question if for some reason this falls apart. Now, like you said, you already made the statement, this team is set up for Aaron Rodgers. Mm -hmm. This would turn into being the same situation that Denver had last year. Basically, yeah. Because Denver believed in its heart that it had Aaron Rodgers. By the way, Mile High friends, I know this probably is like the first time you're hearing this. Maybe you heard some whispers or whatever. But there were long talks went down the road with Aaron Rodgers. Why do you think Hackett got the job? Yeah, yeah, I I think that's been that's been kind of kicked around and reported at this point that they were zeroed in on Rodgers and ended up pivoting to Russ. And that was a monumental mistake because that team was set up for Rodgers, and this team is set up for Rodgers. And listen. I'm not trying to trade Stafford. I love Stafford. He got us a Super Bowl, which I will always be grateful for because uh, having having the Rams in Los Angeles is is a dream come true after them leaving and going to St. Louis. But uh, 
$57 million contract. Shoulder and neck issues. And, uh, you know, this is the time to pivot if you can. Mm -hmm. Because on the horizon is next year. Yeah. And next year is all about Caleb Williams. Next year is all about, for the NFL, (laughs) Caleb Williams, Derek May, the quarterback crew that is coming out next year. If we, if you guys think you like this class, wait till next year. Because mm-hmm. that class is better. And it's better at the top end. And I think it has actually has more depth than this year's class. I, I think this year's class is fairly deep. I, I like the depth overall. That's because you like Anthony Richardson. Well, even like and Tanner when, I, when I start to think of depth, I think of like guys who are going to go outside the first round and like the, the Hendon hookers and Tanner McKees of the world. I think there's a few guys, uh, Malik Cunningham, there's a few guys later in uh, the draft this year who are going to start games in the NFL at some point in their career. And that's just not normally a thing that happens. Just as long as not DTR. <laughs> yeah. As long as he doesn't start in the NFL, we're yeah. good. Unless he's a running back or a wide receiver. No, I think DTR is going to have a decently long career as a guy who comes on your practice squad to emulate Lamar Jackson the next week or whatever kind of quarterback you're going to be going up against. I think that's kind of like the floor for him, but he could work his way into being like a package backup, a QB three. Yeah. Decision-making will have to get a lot better for that to happen in the NFL. I watched him for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. uh, One of the reasons why I keep my hair short is because I don't want to have to pull it out. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think you're going to really put him in, positions where he's going to have to make any decision outside the RPO unless he takes a monumental leap that we can't see coming. Now, speaking of uber athletic quarterbacks, the Lamar Jackson drama continues. This is as soap opera as all my children. What is it? What's the other one? As a, what is it? Days of our lives. Yeah. Whatever, bald in the beautiful, whatever you want to call this, uh, we're starting to hear teams. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on the teams that have kind of peeked his head out of the doorway and said, We might be in. Oh man, I we've already talked about hoodie in this podcast, but I'm just begging that he's not the guy who ends up making the move. That is the thing I I stand most terrified of. And to be honest with this team, they're putting together clearly prioritizing run after catch players in Juju, Mike Gusecki, it kind of lines up nicely for someone like Lamar Jackson. So I, 
I feel like they might be in the conversations right now. And uh, as I've said, since I first kicked around this idea a couple months ago, that's the thing that terrifies me the most in my heart. Mm. Mm. The hoodie with Lamar Jackson. The only thing that will be greater for me personally, and it has nothing to do with my team per se, but it just has to do with the aesthetics. Could you imagine Lamar Jackson on Crenshaw Boulevard? <laughs> Could you imagine Lamar Jackson on Martin Luther King Boulevard or Manchester? Could you imagine my boy rolling through Hoover? Could you imagine my guy running, rolling through south of Adams Boulevard in Los Angeles getting... Tommy burgers, getting oh, you know fat burgers, getting so you know getting so getting all that going on, being straight hood. <laughs> oh man, I I I would love to see Lamar in L.A. just for the spectacle of it all. Back in the day, I used to when we were still not sure what team was going to move to L.A. I used to always kick around that the Panthers would be the best team to move to L.A. because Cam Newton would have been such a star and Ron Rivera connecting with the Hispanic community would have been an absolute home run for the situation. Lamar Jackson, I think he captures some of that same energy. I I always have thought that the big reason there hasn't been the, the stronghold of football in LA is because you haven't really had that dynamic guy to just take over the city in the way someone like Kobe did or magic back in the day. And if you had a player like Lamar Jackson on the Rams, he could absolutely do that. And we know what the mantra is by Les Neat. What is the mantra about picks? When it comes to Les Snead, I don't curse on this podcast usually, so I give it to they my boy. Do not fucking matter one bit. That's right. After picks, pretty yeah. much, we don't care. Lamar Jackson in Los Angeles. By the way, we got a ton of soul food places that he can grub up on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We can get him at the first A&E church. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And we can get him, a, we can get him right up at the front. With all the stars, magic, everybody. Yeah. All the Vivica A. Fox. He can be sitting right next to Vivica A. Fox mm-hmm. in first any church if he like. We can make that happen for him. No problem whatsoever. And there is nobody in this world at this present time that I would want as a quarterback. In Inglewood, California. I the only reason I say it like that is if you grow if you grew up here, you understand what Inglewood really is. There is nobody who fits Inglewood more at this present time than Lamar Jackson. We lost our guy, Jalen Ramsey, because that was our mm-hmm. street cred guy. Mm-hmm. Lamar Jackson would take that mantle. And then bring it to new heights because that's my dude. I want him to stay 100% authentic the way he is. And I'm looking forward 
to seeing who actually is going to go out and make that leap for him. Now, we we tease about the Inglewood and Los Angeles and whatever, and we talked about New England. Now, my question to you is, is that we talked about this the last time, I believe, that you were on the pod. Um, we have like six, seven quarterbacks, if that, as difference makers in the NFL. Mm-hmm. We have 32 teams. That leaves us with 26 to 25 teams who have quarterbacks but obviously are not Lamar Jackson. I understand that you have to build the fit around him. Is it that hard? Is it really that hard? Like if you ha- – I don't know. I mean, obviously the uh, the San Francisco offense might not be what he needs. But is it really hard to build around him if you have a good offensive line? I I don't think so. And I, he could work great in San Francisco even. I, I think the Ravens thought it was very hard to build around Lamar Jackson. And I think early in his career that was true. But we've seen him develop as a thrower of the football. And now he can actually do that. Let him do that. Like, the, I think a West Coast system where he has some easy reads, he can maybe throw to people in similar ways to how he was throwing to uh, Mark Andrews or even a guy like James Proche who came close to the line and uh, they had some some chemistry there. I think he can continue to succeed so long as you just have a checkdown valve for him when the uh, things aren't going properly. And you don't need to run the ball with him as much as Baltimore did. You can let him be Mike Vick or RG3 where all the runs are just, they happen because they happen. And he's going to make big plays on, on situations like that. So I think like multiple teams could make a guy like Lamar Jackson worth work. They just need to be willing to try new things with him that he hasn't necessarily tried before. Maybe work out some of those kinks. Yeah, I I just I'm very confused that a a talent like this has come onto the market and we are not hearing people like step on other people to get to him. Mm-hmm. Now I understand that there's a cat and mouse game that is being played. You don't want to show your hand, so to speak, and, mm-hmm. and put things out there. But if you're a team that's pretty much like right there. Why would you not go out and get a quarterback? And here's the thing. It's not like you're going out and getting Aaron Rodgers, who might be a two-year deal, mm-hmm. three-year deal if you're if you're really, really optimistic. Lamar, he, I mean, other than injury, catastrophic injury, which we'll create a guy right now, we do not want that to happen to Lamar Jackson. No. But – He's 26, 26 years old. The only thing that I can think that is the holdup is the little dirty secret that only it seems like me is holding on to. Because I still question the accuracy, but 
The problem is, is that the data the last two years is incomplete because Baltimore hasn't put anything around him. No. So now I'm at a point where I can't grade him. Can't grade yeah. him because he has nothing really around him except Mark Andrews. And that's not sufficient enough for a top end quarterback to really mm-hmm. show what he can do. So please put something around him and allow him to flourish. That would be my hope if he stayed in Baltimore, which I do not think will happen whatsoever. I will yeah. go ahead and still say that, that I do not believe that Lamar will end up in a Baltimore uniform. If he does, I will come back on this pod and say I was wrong and do the Mia Coco, but I don't think that's going to be the case. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I I had a hard time pulling up the stat quickly, but I th- I'm pretty sure Lamar has been near the the league lead over the past five years in dropped passes as on top of everything else. So even when when the accuracy is working, he just has the players throw it on the ground so he can't really build that rhythm. Once we see him in a new offense, that's kind of getting him going in the way you treat normal quarterbacks. I think it's it'll be different in that category. Switching topics. One real quick thing, because I know you have a Pittsburgh thing that you want to get to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I want to go back a little bit, Nico. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe about five, six years ago, maybe a little bit longer. There was a gentleman who was drafted, and he was going to get drafted early. Then a video surfaced. That was a gas mask. Yeah. And my man was higher, not than a kite, but then our our space station in outer space. All right? The International yeah. Space Station. So now... My man just received $50 million guaranteed. Yes. And he's doing something really smart. He's not signing long-term contracts. It's two and three year deals and let's get out and get more money. He is pushing the AAV for offensive linemen to new heights. I want your thoughts on Larry Me Tunsil becoming the LeBron James of the NFL. <laughs> That that is a, a a decent comparison, actually. Obviously, not as players, but just in terms of what LeBron did for contracts for elite players in the league. I think that's definitely also true for for Laramie. Uh, Kirk Cousins tried to do it, but didn't didn't work too well for him. Um, I. He's a very good player, especially when he gets the the penalties under control. Sometimes he has that problem, but he's one of the best tackles in the sport. I'm really happy that the Texans kept him because there were a lot of rumors that they were going to ship him off somewhere else after trading so much to get him in the first place. And you're about to bring in a brand new quarterback and you're trading away your franchise left tackle. That didn't make any sense to me. I think I I'm really happy for Laramie Tunsil being in such a good spot after 
such an awful thing happened to him on draft day. It also uh, broke on draft day that he took money to play at Ole Miss, that some person in his life, uh, he pissed off, I guess, and started leaking all the information about him. I remember hearing that gas mask video that eventually came out was from like four years before his draft situation. He was like a 17 year old kid in the video. And that it was always awful that that happened. And especially the way the NFL treated the situation with Roger Goodell being like, Oh, that's why the draft's exciting. So to see Tunsil be making so much money at this point and be in such a power position in the league, it's something that warms my heart. I think it was really smart for them to, to lock him up, especially now. <laughs> especially now. You're about to go get a quarterback. Yeah. You can't be playing around. You can't be playing around with that. Lock that dude in. Mm-hmm. For sure. And uh, I just I just love the move, how he's doing it. Yeah. And uh, I just I thought it was interesting because – the only reason we talk about Larry Mutunsel usually is the draft picks and the compensation that, you know, that Miami got for him. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? And now you're looking at him in completely different right in a light. And there are offensive linemen who are now in middle school who are going to be looking back at this situation going, I would like to thank Mr. Tunsil for allowing my family to have generational wealth. And he was a true pioneer for us. So I like to thank him. I can't wait for that. That Larry Mutunsil is going to be kind of like the new version of the Underground Railroad to offensive yeah. linemen getting paid. Very shots out very exciting. Yeah, I I'm I'm super happy with at, at basically the whole way that situation unfolded. It seemed like it was going to be something sinister, and especially considering the Texans organization has some pretty black marks on them recently. So to see them get something like this right was something that that made me happy. Yeah, they've had a rough go. <laughs> a little bit lately. Mm-hmm. You had some information about the Pittsburgh Steelers. Everybody drink. Oh, yeah. Shout out to my mother, who is resting comfortably in the hospital, mm-hmm. dealing with all myriad of ailments. So mm-hmm. this is going to help her. What do you got on the Pittsburgh Steelers? I, I came into free agency and how it kicked off with the whole Cam Sutton, Patrick Peterson thing. Pretty disappointed with the way this new organization was starting to handle things. I The the first thing that set off alarm bells in my head is this this stat that I didn't immediately know, but I, I knew in my heart. During the entire Kevin Colbert era, he never once gave a multi-year deal to an outside free agent over 30 years old. And 
the literal first signing Omar Khan made was a multi-year deal to 32-year-old Patrick Peterson. And that had me instantly nervous that this organization was going to completely change the way they were doing business. But then every move that's followed since then, he's been targeting young free agents, 26-year-old guys, giving a guy like Cole Holcomb, a solid middle linebacker for Washington, who's coming to Pittsburgh, a three-year deal, giving Nate Herbig a three-year deal, who I'm I'm over the moon about the Herbig signing. But even uh, going forward, bringing in Isaac Simalu, there is a clear emphasis on this team on getting stronger in the front seven and uh, on defense, also including Landon Roberts there, and on offense, having those maulers on the offensive line, similar to what they had in Philadelphia. And I couldn't be happier about that. That is the exact way I think you need to build a football team is through the trenches. And I was curious to see what role Andy Weidel truly had on the Steelers. And clearly the influence is huge because they're going to get his guys, his type of dudes that haven't necessarily been the Steelers type of dudes historically. So we're in a spot where I am now incredibly excited about the Omar Khan era where only like two weeks ago I was sitting nervously. And as you're optimistic about the Omar Khan era, I am less optimistic about the less Sneed era. Oh, and I'll put it to you. I'll put it to you this way. Mm-hmm. Great gains is gone. Yeah. Ashawn Robinson is leaving right out the door as well. Mm-hmm. I will. I packed the bags of Taylor Rapp. That's why you and I haven't talked over the like last four or five days. I packed his bags for him. I did all the boxes. I put all the newspaper inside the uh, the stemware and everything for him. I couldn't get Taylor Rapp out of town quick enough mm-hmm. for me. But our <laughs> the defections off the defensive line are alarming to me because there hasn't been any coming in. Nothing. Mm -hmm. We have literally, we have no defensive line at this point except for Andon. And I have no idea what the move is unless you're telling me that we're stripping it down. Then if we are stripping it down, we need to get rid of Matthew Stafford. If we're stripping this down, let's go ahead. As aggressive as we were about F the picks, we need to be as aggressive as aggressive about reacquiring picks and building this team. I I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> I'm actually in one way I'm kind of I'm okay with it because those guys did not provide the physicality that I would enjoy. I I long for the days of Michael Brockers. Shout out to my guy. 
Uh-huh. Really underrated player, Michael Brockers was I incredible. Love, love Michael Brockers. <laughs> but uh is this a draft deal? Is this a because I haven't heard anything why this is the pivot for the Rams. What's your thoughts on the lack of defensive line, uh, the exodus, and also not acquiring defensive line via free agency? What's your thoughts? I'm really curious if the exodus has started. It seems like you're kind of tiptoeing around it at this point and unafraid or sitting a little afraid to make that Stafford move. That being said, I'm not sure what situation Stafford would just slide into easily right now, unless that Jets thing changes. There's a ton of teams that he would slide into. Cause I'm going to tell you right now, if Tennessee who oh, I do like the ceiling signing. They're, they're definitely they're, – they're cutting everyone. They're bottoming out with all the power in their body, I think, Tennessee. Hmm. Hmm. I, I, I'm pretty convinced they're in the Caleb Williams lottery next year. Well, I'll tell you this. I don't know for certain. I don't. And we are not that far away from it, but I'm gonna just I'll just throw this little nugget out there. The whispers of trading Aaron Donald during the draft will get larger. So you know. Aaron Donald is a prime candidate for a draft day trade. I that would it. be that would you be a go ahead and say you heard it from your boy. And listen, I'm not trying to break news. This is me reading the tea leaves. This that's what it is. It is there is no real mm-hmm. evidence. I haven't talked to anybody, but I do believe that as we get closer to this draft, I am starting to think that Aaron Donald will no longer be a Los Angeles round and that will start the rebuild. That will be the seminal piece that starts it. That would absolutely start the rebuild. If, if that's truly happening, I, I would love to throw Pittsburgh's hat in the ring. I, I you don't want to give me a first round pick. Though. I, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to. Then you can, um, Stay over there in Pittsburgh uh, or Edmonton I or could, whatever that little, that, uh, what is it, the fast train, the, the bullet train that goes from Edmonton to Pittsburgh? Yeah, yeah. that one. That train? You can yeah. stay on that train. Oh, okay. Right. I need, uh, uh, me, I don't want to give my first round pick this year. I, no. I, no. I might be I might be able to be talked into it. I don't know. The more the more I think about it, the more I think of it as a possibility. But um, I have a trade partner for you. Okay. I'm here for it. We've done a lot of dealings with the Detroit Lions. People remember the Stafford deal, but Michael Brockers also went over to that. 
Now, it was via, like, free agency or whatever, but they had that talk before, beforehand. So my thought is a team that is on the rise, a team that is young, yeah, they're missing a quarterback. Uh, they're not the only team that's star chasing um, defensive people. But they are a candidate. The other team that I want to deal with, just so you know, and this starts my campaign on Jerry Jones today. I told you it was coming. Yeah. I would like to get that person in a room. Mm-hmm. He loves stars. He loves them. He oh, loves he them would, a lot. He'd move heaven and earth for Aaron Donald. I believe it. Is there any way we can get that old man who loves talking on the radio and selling his team and trust the star and we built Jerry's world and all this other stuff. Can we get that guy in a room without Steven, without anybody else? <laughs> uh, and just say, hey, yo, bro, I got Aaron Donald. What can we get the Herschel Walker trade? Can we run that back? The other <laughs> no, way? No, can we no. run that back the other way for us? You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm looking for because that dude right there that's the that's the linchpin that, of stupid that's trades. The that's the dream. I don't think you can get him in a room without Steven anymore, unfortunately. <laughs> I don't think they let him out of the building. That but, anecdote about the Johnny Manziel thing to yeah. this day is the most compelling story I have heard on a draft day situation. You Have you heard this? Yeah, I've heard it, but tell the listeners. Okay, so we harken you back to a time where Johnny Manziel was relevant. He was at Texas A&M. They were calling him Johnny Football, and he was just an absolute stud in a certified G. No question. Shouts out to Enzo Amore. With that being said, Johnny Manziel is going in the draft. And there is a story out there that Jerry Jones, they had to literally take the phone out of his hand, snatch it, because he was going to put in the Johnny Manziel thing. They literally had to get him out of the room. And if you remember that draft, who did they draft? Was It, it was Frederick, right? It was a center? Yeah. When it was yeah. Frederick, right? And at what the time, guy, right? Yeah, at the time, people thought it was a huge reach. And it wasn't. But no, you know what would have been a really big mistake? Drafting Johnny Menzel. Yeah. Into Dallas. With all the issues that he has. That would have been awesome. So I'm no. hoping to get the same guy in a room and say, <laughs> here's Aaron Donald. Here you go, buddy. Here you go. What's up? What's up? What can you give us for it? Oh, man. But those are my, that's my thought, is that I believe that at the end of the day, as we get closer to this draft, I believe that the the Rams may have a first-round pick. <laughs> that that would be, that would be ideal. I think that's the direction the organization should move. I just I've got a feeling they'll be a little more hesitant. 
Now, staying in Texas, I want to hit you with a couple more things. Uh, okay. What's our policy on drafting running backs in the first round, Nico? Don't do it. <laughs> All right. It is a try and true uh, mode of thinking. Okay. Now, we didn't get this out of thin air. This is something that we have calibrated. This is something that we have put deep thought into. This is something that we submitted a thesis to the uh, Sloan Conference to. <laughs> All right. Bijan Rob- Robinson is going to get drafted in the first round. He's going to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And okay. Maybe even in the top 10. Yeah. Now, we're here. We're at this point. Are we starting to see a shift in thinking about drafting running backs in the first round because of the necessary skill set that they provide in the passing game, also pass protection, uh, the ability to get yards after the catch, yards after the first initial contact, What's your thoughts on B. John Robinson being the, the I guess, what, patient zero of this new, new deal? I don't to, – to me, it's kind of cyclical with running backs. Like, we have a few years, we'll have a great guy like Bijan come in the class. And then – all of back in the day, it was Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley came into the class, and then everyone knew you need to take Todd Gurley in the first if you want to get Todd Gurley. Huge mistake with him. I will tell mm-hmm. you personally, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah, I think I because of I the, think the, the injuries, injuries before. Yeah, um, but I think that. We're going to see Bijan go up high. I also have a feeling we might see a guy like Jameer Gibbs get drafted in round one towards the back half. But I, I think it's going to probably lead to a few more years of guys taking the running back of the day up high. And... Some of those guys are going to be busts. Some of those guys are going to be hits. Maybe with some luck, we'll get another Saquon Barkley mixed in there. But eventually, there's going to be more wrong selections at the running back position than right ones. And teams are going to come back around to not selecting running backs in the first round. And then we'll have a few years without any running backs in the first round. And it it just seems to repeat and repeat and repeat like this over and over. And I, I'm, I'm expecting something similar to end up happening here. Uh, we'll see Bijan go in the first and maybe a few more. But... I, I just still think it's a bad idea, though if if there were a running back to make me change my mind, Bijan would probably be that guy. Nico, I have a theory that I want to run past you. I put a lot of thought into this. <clears throat> I had to open a Diet Coke to because there's a lot of gravity to the situation. <laughs> I believe that uh, 
running the numbers in eye test and uh, just kind of looking at football as a whole, mm-hmm. I think we've hit a a new like development in football. The defenses are allowing offenses to go from the 20 to the 20 as easy as possible. Do whatever the hell you want. Mm-hmm. But what we're going to do is we're going to stop you in the red zone. The adjustment mm-hmm. to that, all these itty-bitty linebackers that you have in your mm-hmm. front seven, we're yeah, going to get a awesome. physical running back. And now I think we're going to see a shift from – I'm not saying that quarterback will never it, – it's always the most important position. Mm-hmm. But I think there will be an emphasis on running backs who can find the end zone in multiple ways. You can't be just a running back. You have to catch it, jet sweep, maybe you can do some wildcat, mm-hmm. whatever. But if you show that in your college tape, the offenses need something because we saw it this year. Yeah. The red zone efficiency this year went down because mm-hmm. defenses are loading up. They have a they have a 12 defender on the back end, which is the out of bounds. And mm-hmm. there's not a lot of room to navigate. So you have to be more creative. You know how you can checkmate that situation? You get a running back that you can guarantee yourself some end zone touches. That might be the key to springing some of these offenses and some of the red zone inefficiency that we saw last year. I I could see parts of that. The more I the way I look at it more is we're in uh, as everyone likes to say the cliche a copycat league. Last year, the team that we saw that was consistently successful in the red zone and in short yardage situation was the Philadelphia Eagles. The whether they did the the push that everyone gets mad about or not, they were And by the way, if you're mad about that, and I'm sorry to cut you off, Nico, if you're mad about that, then you got a problem. Because here's the thing. Everybody wants an edge. And you're just they just found the right guy who mm-hmm. squats 600 pounds as a quarterback. And, yes, and they found those maulers along the offensive line who are going to push the defensive line out of there. And I think that's more of the direction it's going for the short yardage game is just getting these mammoths up front and having uh, an athletic quarterback who can provide your defense some duality out of the RPO game, out of the play action game, and just leave the defense kind of guessing. I think we're going to see more of a shift in that direction rather than going for these running backs in the first round because the running backs worthy of it are just so rare. We, we, there's like one Saquon Barkley. We've seen guys like Todd Gurley, Leonard Fournette go in the first round and play really well, but just burn out quickly. And I think we're going to probably repeatedly see that with running backs, especially with the way the game's played today. 
The one other thing that I'll rebut on that is this. Keeping your quarterback healthy is the number one priority. If we can take a couple hits away from him a game, by giving it to the running back in those tight situations in the red zone. Mm-hmm. And if you accumulate that over a 17 game plus playoffs, plus they don't play in the preseason whatsoever anymore. So don't worry about that. But if you can cut those hits down, even three hits a game. That's 50, what, 51 less hits in a regular season? That's that's significant to a quarterback. And what's the most disposable position in the NFL? The running back. So if you can get a running back who is disposable, and we have said many a time to each other and on different platforms, on different podcasts, by the way, this is our first journey down the podcast road. We are glad that you guys are here, but this is not our first journey down it. No, sir. That you can find a running back in the third round. But some guys are worthy of a first-round pick because they have a nose for the end zone, and they can be instrumental in the red zone efficiency game. And that's what I'm thinking that we're going to see. I wonder if the guy who is 6'2", 220 pounds, who is flying around as a linebacker, if he, he doesn't turns play to the other back, he doesn't. He doesn't. Because, you don't get enough money. And right. your career is so much shorter at the running back position. These elite athletes just don't play the running back position anymore. They move to the defensive side of the ball. Some of them even move to the offensive line. We've seen guys become, if you're taller, you can become a tight end. There's more positions for you to play that are going to lead to more money for you long-term than the running back position. And I, that's probably the biggest problem and the reason why we don't really have those elite running backs anymore because it's really only a certain body type that if you're like 5'8 to 5'11 and you're around that 200 to 230-pound range, you – can basically only play the running back position. So those guys repeatedly play the running back position. And we've seen like elite players come out of that build. It's just you're not going to see these game changers at at the same rate anymore. And I I would be honestly more willing to just throw a fifth round pick at the running back position every single year, hoping I get a hit once. If I don't dispose them, it's a fifth round pick. Doesn't really matter. I like that. I believe in that. I was just trying to see if there was a way that we can help this uh this uh slight slight dip in the red zone efficiency. And I think there is a, I think there's a niche like opportunity for somebody. Now, maybe Bijan is the guy who turns the running back position around. I don't know. I don't think so. I think we are in a passing league. I think this is where we're going, but teams want to win. 
you're right. Absolutely. The the quarterback being up at the line, pushing, getting the yard, getting a couple yards. I mean, in Philadelphia case, they get six yards when that happens. Yeah. They just got nothing but road graders and maulers up there. Everybody's an animal. And the biggest animal is probably the smallest guy, which yeah. is uh, Kelsey. Yeah, he's Who's a beast. an absolute beast. What is he, like 35? Yeah, he's up Something there. Like I I thought he might retire after this year. I wonder if they would have won the Super Bowl if he would have hung it up. Maybe. But uh, I am um, – I'm looking at that as maybe a – a different alternative to finding a quarterback that squats 600 pounds. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if you can run probably not the same thing as effectively, but if you can run uh, a similar thing with a lesser sized quarterback. Cause I know after acquiring two of those very same road graders off that Philadelphia team, the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to try the QB push this year. It's going to happen. It's going to be worked into the offense. So we're going to see if you can have some level of success. You're not going to have the same level of success, but if you can have some level of success with a small guy like Kenny Pickett, which is basically like the polar opposite uh, in just like build to a guy like Jalen Hurts. Yeah, it will be interesting to see if this becomes such a trend in the NFL that everybody just starts doing it. Brady mm-hmm. was or if the first there's one. The rule change. Yeah, Brady was the first one. He was mm-hmm. like really the first one to kind of really perfect it. But Hurts yeah. is taking it to such a level. Mm-hmm. Hurts is taking it to a level that is, oh no, this can be part of the offense. Yeah. This is, if we really wanted to, we could run this on first down and get five, six yards. Mm-hmm. And now we're yeah. at second and four. Now nobody wants to see that. They want to see the ball flying in the air and whatever. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to tell you a, a guy who doesn't care what the fans think what the audience thinks, what TV thinks. If Bill Belichick thought that he can get five, six yards on first down doing that, he would do it. And he doesn't care about the game. He doesn't care about the quality of the game. He doesn't care about any of that. These football coaches want to win. The one thing we know about the NFL, because we've been saying it forever, shouts out to Jerry Glanville, who was the one who kind of coined this phrase. So we going back, by the way, for for the kids who are listening to this podcast and do not know who Jerry Glanville is. He said the NFL stands for not for long. So your job yeah, is sure. dependent on how successful you are. And I don't care how I win. You see what I'm talking about? Mm. I don't need credit. I don't need to be the smartest guy in the room. I just want to win. So if you're telling me on first down, I, I'm guaranteed five yards if I run this play, I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'm running on first, it. second, third, fourth down. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't I agree more. I don't need to throw. Listen, we saw teams last year throw the f- football nine times. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> we saw – now, it, it goes against what – the trend is because we have four thousand yard passer, five thousand yard passer. 
it's just a new trend. It's I think soon enough this is going to turn into what the trend is if, if it's successful enough. Like obviously, if you have a Patrick Mahomes, you want to air the ball out all over the field. But if you don't have that level of passer, you need yards any way you can get them. And even Jalen Hurts is like one of the better passers in the league, I think. And they still know that they can get yards with the this play time and time again so they keep going back to it mostly mostly in short yardage situations but we've seen them do it even when it's not short yardage i want to credit nico on one thing one of the reasons why i give him some of the nicknames is because of the fact of thought process and i don't know if he mentioned it on a pod or if it was just in conversation i believe it was on a pod so go back and listen to the archive pods he was talking about the new breed of quarterback and did we usher in a new breed of quarterback where he was going to have the ball a lot, uh, not just throwing it, but running it and running it efficiently. And we're not worried about whether he uh, can take a pounding, so to speak, uh, pause. We'll just go ahead and say that. <laughs> I don't need Kendall hitting me up on Twitter. I don't need it. Kendall, just stop right now. I, I know you're listening to this podcast and we're like at the, what, one hour, 15 minute mark or whatever. Do not tweet me and talk about that. Just letting you know. But I think that you brought up something very key. If you can't get the guy like a Mahomes, you talked about a different type of game manager. And I want you to expound on that because I think it's a key point of where the league is going to go because I think Kirk Cousins is a dinosaur. And I think that Jalen Hurts is the Velociraptor. Yeah. He's the evolution. Yeah, I I it's crazy to think that because I kind of agree that in some ways the Kirk Cousins type is a dinosaur. But even like 10 years ago, he was kind of like the the modern style of quarterback. Um, I, I the guy who comes to mind with the modern game manager for me the most, and I, I really hope he can get to this level. But coming into the league, it was a guy like Trey Lance. <laughs> And it's because he could play without making many mistakes. He does the West Coast stuff. He he throws it short. He completes it. But he also gives you the running element. That's not something that has happened from quarterbacks back in the past very much. There, When I first started watching football seriously, there was a guy in Alex Smith who was like the quintessential game manager. And he had wheels, but they never used it. Now, a days, if Alex Smith were to come into the league, I think he'd be averaging 500 rushing yards a year. And it just adds such an element to to your team because the West Coast system, you're trying to make teams defend horizontally at, rather than vertically because it's, it's difficult to cover a very wide NFL field. Once you add the element of running, as well, you have to cover so many more yards of the field horizontally. 
And it just absolutely puts defenses in a spot where they have nothing to do unless they want to play a spy and take a player out of coverage and all of a sudden you get dotted up. It's it's clearly, I think, the direction the league is going in. If you can't find a guy like Mahomes, if you can find a guy who can be Brock Purdy and but also run the ball and pick up a few yards here and there, you're in a really good spot. So this is why I hired Nico. This is why. Well, because very much, brother. You know, you know how I feel. Um because this is what we're talking about, because we are trying to think outside the box, because at the end of the day, Mahomes don't grow on trees. Josh Allen's don't really grow on trees, but you can win a football game with a really good quarterback, not a great quarterback. And now if you say to him, we're also going to allow you to use your wheels to get yards and to matriculate us down the field without turning the ball over. This seems like it can work. This seems like a really good idea because the one thing that a lot of old school football coaches talk about, there are like four things that can happen when a ball is thrown. Your quarterback can get sacked. It can be incomplete. It can be an interception or the positive thing. It can be caught. Now, there's a couple other little things with that we can add on to it. But those are you. That's interference. That was the big big addition in the early 2010s is we started getting these wide receivers who could draw pass interference calls as well. And that became another positive play for the offense. Now that we're 10 years removed from this, we don't have cornerbacks that are as grabby as they used to be. So Mm -hmm. that pass interference, getting you those significant yards you can get otherwise is not as a reliable form. So we've seen teams move more into the direction of moving the ball sideways. And we've seen those teams continuously get to the Super Bowl. It's even even the Bengals do a great job of it, considering that they have uh, a deep passing attack. They do a really good job at just sending Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd on slants quite often. And it just leaves the defense even more confused. So there, I think there needs, we're moving into a way where there needs to be two different ways for your offense to win, be it horizontally, horizontally, vertically, or with the running game. And as long as you have two of those things checked off at an elite level, you could be a Super Bowl team, I, I think, at this point. Like, that's kind of the baseline that you're looking for from an offense. And boys and girls, if you want to build a football team, that's exactly how you do it. You want to minimize risk and you want to highlight the exceptional talents of these uh, athletes as far as that's concerned. And I think that what we might see over the next five to ten years is Jalen Hurts, but a little bit bigger. 
right? Like six, two, maybe, and maybe 215, 220. You don't need them to be a tank. Super agile, good arm, uh, but protective of the football. Uh, Our boy at Ohio State came out a little too early, man. JT Barrett? Yeah. Uh, he wasn't great quarterback at all. No. But he would have he could have managed. Like, I'm not saying he would have been a star. I'm saying, like, what what was the dude out of Nevada? What's the dude out of Nevada I'm thinking of? Oh. A couple years ago. It was a guy. Ooh, um, I, think it was I, can't, dude. I can't remember. I feel like JT Barrett stayed a little too long and could have yeah. could have done more coming into the league. But we're looking for a certain prototype now in the in the NFL. Yes, of course, you want the quarterback who has the the huge arm. The accuracy is great. The anticipation is great. Uh, Carson Strong. Sorry. Yeah, it is. It is Carson Strong. He got, yeah. he got hurt pretty good. Yeah. So that's the type of quarterback you're looking for. Somebody who values possessions. And has the willingness to run when nothing's out there and just go off script. I wonder if our guy, because he showed showed it in the Georgia game, is CJ Stroud going to unleash this part of his game on the NFL? Because I'm gonna tell you right now, that's what scouts want. That's what scouts want from him. They saw the Georgia game, and that's why. That's the only reason he's in this top hemisphere Group, quarterback. Yeah. yeah. Is because of the Georgia game. So <laughs> just that little bit of enticement has got him to this level. Could you imagine if he was doing this the whole year? Yeah, he'd been the number one quarterback, I think, without question. And he might still be the number one quarterback just based off doing it once. I think – Part of my struggles with C.J. Stroud is he he's someone who works very well in structure, mm. but as soon as the structure starts to break down, I'm I really question what he's going to do, and that's a lot of times when your true football talent like comes out. And you're outside of structure so much more in the NFL going up against these elite players than you are in college, so. I think actually bring it back to the Steelers, everyone drink. That's why Kenny Pickett was so successful. He was kind of the opposite of CJ Stroud. He thrived outside of pressure or outside of structure, but had a bit of an issue completing passes and actually just executing the offense at times, staying in the pocket. He didn't have to do that very much in Pittsburgh this year because there was shit breaking down constantly, and that's part of what helped him thrive. He was doing what he was comfortable with. And when you're not very comfortable with the uncomfortable uh, with someone like C.J. Stroud, that gives me big question marks in the league. The problem with C.J. Stroud is the problem with all Ohio State quarterbacks. You have great talent, and unfortunately, in the Big Ten, you really don't play against teams that can handle all the talent that you have. 
because they're going down to Florida and California to get the speed and uh, skill guys. Unfortunately, Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, uh, Michigan State, Indiana, Purdue, they just don't have the talent level. So the windows that he's throwing into are so large because his talent is so vastly different than the other teams. We never really see him up against talent that is going to look as close to the NFL as possible until we saw that Georgia game. Georgia game, yeah. And that's that's when everything changed. One game, buddy. One I, game. I I just wish I could have seen that type of performance from Stroud a little more. That's leads to part of the the problem, I think, with the modern college game. We we're seeing these elite quarterbacks continuously go to programs with other elite quarterbacks. So they only end up getting 20 starts in college, something like that. So it makes the evaluation process significantly more difficult than it used to be back in the day when you were looking at multiple guys coming into the league with like 50 starts by the time they got there. So I, I think that a guy like CJ Stroud could really thrive once we get in the league, especially based off that game. That gives me a lot of hope. But the the problem is you just you can't know nowadays, and that's probably a big part of why we're seeing a very high number of quarterback busts versus back in the day when Ryan Leaf was like a rarity. Now it feels like every year we're getting a Mitch Trubisky who's basically the, like obviously he wasn't as hyped as a guy like Ryan Leaf, but he went in the same area. The one thing I will say, and then uh, I'm going to have a personal thought and then we can wrap it up. But the one thing I will say about CJ Stroud is this, is that, Of the four quarterbacks that everybody's talking about in this top tier of the draft, he's the one guy that you sit there and you have, like, the least questions about. You do question him. There are questions about him. But he's, like, he's not – he doesn't have the greatest arm, but he has a good arm. He doesn't play off script, but we have the Georgia game. He – doesn't turn the ball over, but how much pressure did he have? What teams did he struggle against? Penn State, Michigan, right? He didn't struggle in that Georgia game, really, but he did struggle against Penn State and Michigan. So now you look at Anthony Richardson, you look at Bryce Young, you look at Will Levis, all three of those guys have that one glaring thing, Mm -hmm. and it's glaring where CJ doesn't have the one glaring thing. A lot of things are like, there's some things, but they're not like a beacon from space that you can see. Mm -hmm. I will say it. I will still say it. (laughs) I moved on my quarterback ranking. So, you know, okay. Bryce Young is the number one quarterback. Mm Mm-hmm. I am going to buy the guy and I'm going to buy the character and I'm going to buy the talent. I 
don't still, I still do not know if the physicality is going to cut him literally in half. Yeah. Which I pray every time Kyler Murray touches the football. Now, I will have another quarterback that I will be praying for. You might have to pray even harder for him. Every time he touches the football, oh. man, I am going to be on this dude. Man, I the first time he steps up in the pocket and gets cranked, I'm going to fucking my heart's going to jump out of my chest. <laughs> the one thing oh. I worry about is concussions because of the whip the whiplash action of yeah. the 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 uh the collision, so the head snapping back, and him being small, those are the type of things I think about. But I sat there, and I was like, you know what? I can't do this. I see the kid. I see the talent. I see the progressions. I see the leadership. I see the calmness when everything is burning down around him. So, So for me, as much as I'm scared about the height, the weight, slender build, all of that, if I'm just going off talent, he's my number one quarterback, and I'm, that's what I'm going to base it on. Yeah. I know he's going to work hard. I don't think he's going to get in trouble. He hasn't shown any propensity for that. Oh, no, no. If you look at if you talk to anybody at Tuscaloosa, they'll tell you he's, yeah, he's a perfect prospect outside of the height. Yeah. Everything else checks out with flying colors. And, well... Uh, the height and weight, because if it was just the height, he'd be my number one prospect too. But the the weight has me questioning it a lot. Um, he he is an incredible young player, and I totally understand having him first. I I've talked to a lot of people who do have him first, and I I get it. I just I, I'm just scared. No, I I get it. I understand why. I just got to be bold. I was sitting there and I was straddling the fence last week and and I sat there and talked myself into like CJ Stroud and I was like, well, if you look at everybody else, they got all these like real like super glaring issues. And then I was thinking to myself, wait, Bryce Young is very, very talented. And all the poise and the and the um the ability to dissect defenses and things of that nature that we always look for in a quarterback and manip- manipulate the defense to move a certain way. These are all things that he does. So why am I, even though I know that there's this huge albatross around him with the high weight deal, I'm going to let that go. And I'm just going to look at the talent and the talent tells me he is QB one. I understand the concerns from everybody else. <clears throat> They are my concerns too, but I'm a bet on the guy. I'm a bet on Bryce Young. So, Bama fans, roll tight. Your guy in my book is QB one. I know Nico does not agree with that at all because of the height and weight. Um, I wouldn't say at all. I wouldn't say at all. It's just, it's hard, man. I get it. Yeah, it's just uh, out of fear that I I don't have him there. It's more that I'd be scared to take him than I don't think he's the best quarterback. 
this is the most interesting science project we have ever had in the NFL, Nico, and I can't wait it's to see it. Way up there. I cannot wait to see it. This this draft class is actually pretty huge for that because uh, another guy who I have all those questions on is Emmanuel Forbes. He's an incredible corner from all the film I've watched. I wasn't familiar before the combine, but after he showed up, I checked, I checked in on him and he's really great, but a cornerback who is trying to weigh in at 166 pounds is just something like we've never seen something even close to that before. How do you press against, um, DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, how do you press pounds. against anyone? I you gotta play off the whole time. So he he's only gonna go to very specific situations. Don't coverage teams and like yeah. And, but the thing is, you look at him on the field. He doesn't look like he weighs 166 pounds, and he doesn't tackle like he weighs 166 pounds. So it just. It gives me the biggest question I've I think I've had in a draft class. Like I don't this isn't a guy like Tutu Atwell who I'm just like writing off my board entirely because of the size. My God. But it 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 gives me a headache trying to think of the way he's gonna work. Like is, has the league truly gotten this much smaller? I I don't think so. On the <laughs> He brought up the name that I really am. Can you waste a draft pick more than Tutu Atwell? No. That, no second round pick? Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. This this pod is probably going to go a lot longer than I thought it was going to go, but I'm going to get this takeoff. How in the hell does a round draft a five foot seven, five foot six, 150 pound wide receiver? I, I and go, this is going to work Yeah, in the know. second round. I don't know, man. I'm not sure where he would have got taken if you wouldn't have taken him. I don't think Fifth anyone round, else. Punt returner, yeah. and that was it, buddy. That was what his life yeah. was going to be. That was what his life was going I to be. I wonder if that was like a McVeigh so- selection. Oh like, I have no idea. You, you would think it was just because he's like – an offensive player with so many question marks, you'd think the head coach would need to bang the table for him. But I, from the minute it happened, I kind of giggled and <laughs> kind of assumed this was going to be the outcome. Yeah, I want to find the scout, and I want to find the. Dis- I want to find who pounded the table for him. I really do. And if it is McVeigh, I'm gonna say this right now. No disrespect to you, sir, but you can go ahead and go to the TV booth right now. If that was your, if that was your guy that you pounded the table for, uh, that, I need you to pound the, I need you to pound the table. The table for some shitty players. Listen, I need you to pound the table for six foot two, one hundred ninety five to two hundred pound, like 50, 50 guys that turn them into 80, 20 guys. That's what I need you to pound the table for. I don't need you to pound the table for a five foot five, hundred and twenty pound dude that looks like he's in junior high school. I don't need that in my life. He's gonna whatsoever. play well for that for the Elks in a couple of years. Oh my god, I can't even stand it. The cornerback that I have been doing a lot of work on is dude out of Illinois. 
Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. He's a beast. Witherspoon. He's Witherspoon incredible. is ridiculous. Um, mm-hmm. If you've not seen this guy at all, Witherspoon is a corner out of Illinois. And when I tell you that he enjoys physicality, it is a complete understatement. He's about this dude it. Can cover, he can hit, and he is around the football mm-hmm. all the damn time. We got a couple corners like that in this class because a guy like Christian Gonzalez, I, I absolutely love for the same reasons. He's unafraid to get in the muck behind the line of scrimmage and tackle guys. He rarely misses tackles. Same with Witherspoon. That's not something you often see out of top cornerback prospects. And both of them are incredible coverage players as well. But at least with Gonzalez, there's physicality. And you look at the traits, you look at the height, you look at the weight, you go, oh, okay, that, that makes sense, right? Yeah. Witherspoon, for the people who do not know the cornerback out of Illinois, do me a favor. Just tell them how tall he is, how much he weighs. I, I'll come up with the exact numbers right now. Dude but is not he, six feet. I'm going to let a, you know right now. Yeah, no, he's a shorter. He is a shorter dude who comes up and like displays physicality despite a, a smaller frame. He can't be two hundred pounds. I think he's probably about one ninety. I think he's uh-huh. five five ten, like three quarters. He, he like, he got five eleven and a half. That's actually really? taller than I thought. And okay. one eighty one at the combine. So and, and he hits like uh Michael Michael Parsons. Yeah, he okay. He I'm, I'm not, hard. No hyperbole. This dude mm. loves to hit people. A Will ton- play to the whistle. Ball skills too. Nasty, nasty corner. He will be the guy who's going to rip off your favorite wide receiver's chain. Mm-hmm. He's going to be that guy. Yeah. yeah. So if yeah. you like that type of player, which I do, I oh, like that type God. of player. Man. If- Witherspoon is your guy. So please go YouTube some clips on Witherspoon, the cornerback out of Illinois. If you haven't done it, go do it right now. And trust me, you will come back to myself and Nico at – Frontrunner PC on Twitter and at Nico FRPC on Twitter. And you mm-hmm. give us your thoughts. If you are a cornerback need team, just do yourself a favor and just look at him go into a dark room. <laughs> nobody around. It's going to be very seedy. You probably feel very uncomfortable with yourself. But the nirvana you're going to feel once you see this kid's tape. You're going to love him. For the Canadian bomber, the Canadian shaman, the Canadian Bill Simmons, and the Canadian Mike Tomlin. Nico, sign us off. Let the people know what we might have in store for them Friday since we didn't get it done on Friday because of me. Oh, well, we... (laughs) It was... It was because of life. It wasn't because of you. But we got some more basketball stuff coming. We, we've we been watching a ton of March Madness. It'll be good that now we're going to have a few more days to digest the games and maybe watch back the ones we missed. We'll be covering that as well as the, the winding down of the NBA season going into the playoffs. We got 
some interesting playoff races, including a few teams in the West that uh, you might you might love. So I I think we're going to be covering all that. We again appreciate you guys so much for tuning in. Please make sure to check us out on Twitter at FrontRunnerPC and at Nico FRPC and ICO. So thank you again so much, guys, and we'll talk to you later. And I have one hot take that I'm going to tease. I'm an old guy, Mm -hmm. but I have a generational take on the NBA that's coming up on Friday that is going to set the world ablaze. Yes, it is a strong take. Super strong take. I'm so excited to drop this situation. I put a lot of thought into it, so it really is not a take. It's actually a a thoughtful process. But a lot of people will be really upset about it. So can't wait for that. All right. We're going to sign off and uh, we will see you guys on Friday. Take it easy.